Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning again, everyone. Now, the life of Bill Bradley, according to Bill Bradley, the former Knicks and Princeton basketball star, U.S. Senator from New Jersey, and one-time presidential hopeful, joins us to talk about the film he just made about his life called Rolling Along, now playing on Max. We'll set this up before bringing him on with one clip from early in the film, then play a few more later uh, as we talk. This is Bradley recalling falling in love with basketball as a kid, in part because of the feel of the game. Then there were the sounds. Thud, thud. The ball hit the gym floor. Thud, thud. Squeak. The squeak of your sneakers against the floor, followed by the jump and the shot. Swish. Sounds sweeter than the roar of the crowd. The ball going through the net. Swish. 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 And with that made-for-radio excerpt glorifying sound, we will talk with Bill Bradley, now 80 years old, uh, and we'll talk about basketball, but more about what he learned about America as a kid originally from a small town in Missouri who broadened and broadened his perspective. Senator, I enjoyed the film, and I fondly remember our talks when you were in office as one of the deep thinkers in national political life. Welcome back to WNYC. Well, Brian, it's great to be back with a great interviewer. I uh, Thank you. And I never thought about your background in those days, to be honest, just about your representation of New Jersey and your views on the right. issues. So tell us a little bit about Crystal City, Missouri, and how you got interested in the wider world. Well, I grew up in uh, a small town, uh, 3,000 people, 3,492 in Crystal City, Missouri. And I... Um, uh, I had a father who was a small town banker and a mother who was a college graduate teacher who poured all of her attention into her only child. And it was actually a kind of idyllic place to grow up. I mean, it was small and a lot of attention could be given to you by teachers and by townspeople. At the same time, uh, you know, I dreamed of a wider world. And uh, I think one of the key moments, there were two key moments. One was when uh, my uh, father and mother decided that I should go to a prep school in Pennsylvania. I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay in Missouri and play basketball. But I said, okay, I'll, I'll take a look, but I got to go to American Bandstand in Philadelphia, right? <laughs> that was the payoff. And so, uh, yeah, I you went mean to- to be, in, to be in the audience for that music no, no, show? No, no, to dance on the show. Oh, so, wow. So I went to American Bandstand. I had my heart throbbed, uh, Patty Molitieri sitting on the bleachers. And I walked over to her and I said, would you like to dance? And she said in her uh, Philadelphia accents, no, you're too tall. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. The wider world was then uh, presented to me by my father, who uh, I signed an athletic scholarship to go to Duke. Um, and uh, my mother was pleased with that. My father was quiet. 
and he never graduated from high school. But he said, you know, you ought to, you know, I want to give you a trip to Europe. So I went on a trip to Europe with 13 women and me. And <laughs> they couldn't figure out what I was going to Duke when I could have gone to Princeton or Yale. Came back, broke my foot, contemplated the world without basketball. And then decided, well, you know, maybe I want to go to Princeton. If I couldn't play basketball, that's where I'd want to go. And so I went to Princeton. So it was that trip that uh, broadened my horizon to the point that I actually ended up at Princeton. That girl who wouldn't dance with you because you were too tall. The the clip I played of you thinking about the sounds of basketball as attractive to you. I mean, you were six seven. Same as Aaron Judge of the Yankees, who people think of today as a giant. Was it inevitable that you'd get into basketball at that height? Well, I was 6'5", uh, not 6'7". Oh, six sorry. Five. Plenty, plenty tall for for asking girls to dance. Uh, but, yeah, I um, uh, yeah I, early on I played baseball, but I did, uh, I did, I was tall. And so basketball became something I would do. My My parents built a hoop in the backyard or they had a slab of blacktop and I practiced there. But the key moment came for me when I was 14, when I went to a basketball camp given by a professional named Easy Ed McCauley, who used to play with the St. Louis Hawks. And he told the assembled campers one day, remember, if you're not practicing, somebody somewhere is practicing and given roughly equal ability, that person's going to win. And so that was the origin of my workaholism. I never wanted to lose because I didn't do the work, whether it was mm-hmm. basketball or whether it was politics or whether it was business or whether it was <laughs> memorizing a show. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to ask you about memorizing a show later because uh, it's so uh, – well, I'll ask you about it now. I mean, it's so different from anything you've ever done in sports or in politics. Um, and I couldn't tell how many – edits there were in the film, but I'm thinking of like, you know, stand-up comedians who do these comedy specials and they have to memorize an hour and a half of material and get the timing just right for every laugh and every, you know, point of the story to, to, to have it land. And, and you did that. What was that like? It was great. I had the time of my life doing it. Um, I walked around Central Park, uh, memorizing it. And, uh, then uh, once I had it memorized, I did it every day in the rec room of the apartment building I live in in New York. And it kind of got around. And sometimes two people showed up, sometimes seven, sometimes zero, sometimes 10. I do it every day at 3.30. So I grooved it, as they say. I grooved my shot. Well, I grooved the script, which was then about an hour and 50 minutes. And um, then we, we were going to do it. Uh, the way this started was... Uh, I was going to do, I, I, I gave my papers to Princeton and uh, did a oral history. And I invited all 70 people who participated in the oral history. 40 showed up. I stood up and told stories about each one of the 40. And one of them, Manny Eisenberg, a Broadway producer of 72 years, or 72 shows, came up to afterwards and he said, uh, you know, um, Reminds me, it sounds a little bit like uh, Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain. You ought to work something up. And so he was the first angel. He suggested the idea. It appealed to me. That's, I took a, high a, year com- to- that's a high compliment, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you know, I totally know that. That's why I was taken aback. I had no frame of reference. I love telling stories always, but uh, that was quite a compliment. So 
I took a year to write it, and I workshopped it in 20 cities all across the country. I'd read it and then ask the audience of 10 or 50 or 80, what do you think? And they'd give me their thoughts, and I'd, I'd, I'd write the, their suggestions and make changes. And then COVID hit, and actually it was a actually not a bad thing because it forced me to go deeper into the material. Hmm. And at the end of COVID, I knew that um, we're not going to go into theaters and do it in theaters. So I rented a theater on 42nd Street, the Jewel Box Theater, its signature theater. And we did it four nights, five cameras. And the idea was to make it into a film. Uh And you did. And listeners, if you're just joining us, uh, Bill Bradley, if you recognize the voice, former U.S. Senator from New Jersey, former Knicks and Princeton basketball star, one-time presidential hopeful. We'll look back on that race as well. Uh, joining us about the film he just made about his life called Rolling Along, now playing on Max. Half our lines are already filled with people who want to ask you questions. So let me give the number to everybody else. Anything you always wanted to ask Bill Bradley, but never had him over for dinner, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. I'm going to jump way ahead. Brian, the other thing is that uh, angels appeared along the way as I was doing this. I mean, the first angel was obviously Manny who suggested it. But one of the stops in those 20 cities was the commissary on the Warner Brothers lot. And after I read it and took comments, a guy came up and said, uh, you know, I think this could be a film. His name was Mike Tolan, who did The Last da- Last Dance, this mm-hmm. great uh, documentary of Michael Jordan. And then I ran into my buddy Spike Lee at Walt Frazier's restaurant one night and told him I'd done this. He said, come do it for me. So I went over to Brooklyn to his office and he said, what do you need? And I said, how about a glass of water and a stool? <laughs> and so I did it for him for hour and 50 minutes and um, when I finished he had tears in his eyes and that's the first time I thought maybe I have something and then when I was doing those rehearsals every day 3 30 in the rec room of the of the apartment building here in New York uh, one day two people came in one of whom was Frank Oz who'd heard about it Frank Oz being the director of Jim Henson movies and the Muppets and Mm -hmm. and he said gee I want to help you so he was another angel that came along and uh, offered editing advice and other things. And then the last angel was two weeks before the Tribeca Film Festival. I began the uh, show with a song by Van Morrison called, And the Healing Has Begun. And then two weeks before Tribeca, Van Morrison, uh, his agent called and said, we don't give you permission to use it. So I was stuck. What am I going to do? So I called my buddy Steve Van Zandt of the East Street Band, who I'd sent a version of the show six months earlier. And I said, I need a song. He said, well, Bruce did a song in the early 80s for Clarence and me called Summer at Signal Hill. Try that one. It worked. And I said, so now I have your permission to use it? He said, oh, well, we sold our catalog to Sony two years ago. But Sony was cooperative, and I managed to get it two days before Tribeca. All of these were angels along the way that helped me do this. I see that Spike Lee is listed in the credits as the executive producer. What role did he play? He, Spike and Frank are executive producers. Frank Oz and Spike Lee are the executive producers. Mike Tolan is the director. Uh, Spike offered uh, ideas, suggestions. He sometimes reacted to parts of the play. I remember at one point, <laughs> at one point I did a uh, first big kind of 
read through uh, at a at a rehearsal studio on 37th Street and 8th Avenue, and uh, I asked Spike to come. And at that point, I had a lot of music in the show. <laughs> you know, my favorite songs, Everyday People, or you know, all of my my life. Uh, <laughs> at the end, he said, "Lose the music." <laughs> I saw the. There was a, there's that one the I, all you kept, if I'm recalling it right, and I saw the whole thing, was one little moment where you broke into song to exemplify something, and it was pretty bad. And you then then you come out and you say, "Don't worry, this isn't a musical." Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you one more question and play one more clip before we take some phone calls, because the heart of the film for me was how you as a white kid from a tiny Midwest town came to experience racism in America, working in the integrated environment of professional basketball in the 1960s and 70s. So here's a clip from the film when you talk about traveling with your black teammates when the Knicks were on the road. I came to understand the distrust and suspicion that my black teammates had for white Americans. I came to recognize certain looks that said, did you see what that honky just did? Or certain code words, did he say Roy or boy? I sensed the tension in them of always being on guard, never totally relaxing. Through them, I saw how far we have to go and still do before our racial reality will match our ideals. And I saw the privilege I had in the system that made it easier for me simply because of the color of my skin. But above all, what I came to understand was how much I will never know about what it is to be black in America. Would you just pick up from there, Bill, and talk about the experience of being in that, I think it's fair to call it an integrated environment, an NBA basketball team, and what you learned as a result? Well, I learned that a common humanity is something that should be cherished. And I learned that a lot more from my black teammates than they learned from me. And it, it actually... in. Uh, it makes me feel like today, for example, the country is so divided. I think of those days in our team and you won because no one player was as good as all five could be playing together. You sacrificed on selfishness. The game of basketball is about maximum movement of player and of ball and unselfishness should be rewarded. And with our team, it was. I remember about all those things in the context of where we are in the country today and how divided we are. And I think we could learn a lot from what made our Nick team successful so many years ago, which is take responsibility for yourself, respect your fellow human being, disagree with them honestly and civilly, enjoy their humanity. And then as my old grandmother used to say, never look down on people you don't understand. And you recall in the film, the time in the Senate after the Rodney King beating that 
you banged on a podium 56 times in 81 seconds to replicate the beating on the Senate floor. Was that after the four white officers were acquitted by an all-white jury? Uh, no, that was just when I, yes, it was after they were acquitted, yeah. Um, and it, uh, it, had a, it had an impact. It was spontaneous. I didn't plan. I didn't say, I'm, I'm taking this pin and going over the Senate floor and hitting the podium. It was I was in the emotion of how I felt about what I'd just seen on the videotape of the of Rodney King being beaten. Uh, so it was not not, be, not it was before they were convicted. And um, so I saw that and I just said, I have to do something. And so I went over and just spoke. And um, partway through, I picked up that pen and hit podium 56 times in 81 seconds so people could have an idea of what it was to be hit by batons 56 times in 81 seconds, an unarmed person. And the film, I think, effectively uh, intersperses some snippets of the Rodney King video um, with the snippets of you on the Senate floor. Anastasia in West Orange, you're on WNYC with former Senator Bill Bradley. Hi, Anastasia. Hi there. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I don't have a question for the senator, but I did want to share that after my freshman year in college, I had a summer internship working in on his re-election campaign, 1984, uh, his campaign headquarters in Union. And it was um, such a great experience. It was a really young and energetic office, and it was really my first um foray into thinking about politics and uh, it was going to be ahead of my first election where I'd be voting. And it was just, uh, as I told your screener, it was just such a, a rewarding experience. And I even got to meet the senator one time. <laughs> well, you made my day, Anastasia. You really did. I mean, this is what you hope. You hope that, you know, interns come in and they have an experience that shifts their view of what's possible in life and lets them understand that politics can do wonderful things. And uh, I'm glad you had that experience. Marcus in Bay Ridge, you're on WNYC with Bill Bradley. Hi, Marcus. Yeah, hi, thanks very much. Uh, two quick things. Senator, I heard that when you were with the Knicks, your nickname was Dollar Bill because you were rather uh, frugal, I guess, in comparison to uh, Walt Frazier, who was <laughs> spending a lot of money on clothing. And also, one of my regrets, Brian did a segment on regret yesterday, is I regret that I didn't do more to support you in the 2000 when you challenged Al Gore, because even though I respect Al Gore so much, I think you would have been a stronger candidate because you were a professional athlete. I think there would have been so many male swing voters that would have been thought, wow, it'd be really cool to have a former NBA guy as uh, president. So that's, that's a real regret of mine. So thank you. Well, you never know. You never know. Well, you, you know, it didn't happen and life went on. But I appreciate your sentiment and, and your support. Well, and Marcus, thank you. And another thing that struck me from the film was when you were describing how after that presidential run in which you did not get the Democratic nomination, Al Gore did, um, you really felt at a loss and you felt like, politics was over for you. And I guess politics was over for you because we haven't heard you in that context since. But how come? Because there are many ways to contribute politically, contribute to improving the world, 
you know, in an issue-oriented way, other than being in elected office? Well, I'm, I'm, I left politics, but I didn't leave concern about the country. And I've been involved with a lot of things relating to education for, for kids and environment and a whole series of other things. But my primary job was not politics anymore. And uh, I had to think about what I wanted to do. And uh, I realized that I just—I had to be, you know, I wanted to claim the idea that I was just, uh, I was no longer the senator or a presidential candidate. I was just a human being and celebrate that. And uh, that meant I had to find fulfillment in something other than presidential aspiration. And that meant on a personal level, I had to uh, come to understand uh, the emotional level as well as the rational level, the feeling as well as thinking. Um, and I had, to, and I discovered a rich inner life that I would never have discovered had that trauma not occurred to me. I mean, the first year with the Knicks when people were booing me and spitting on me and throwing coins at me was one thing, and it was distantly similar. But uh, it was a more profound thing because it was a rejection of what you had tried to be for 30 years. Uh, and then to be able to go and go to a deeper level within yourself and find a level of fulfillment that uh, was or is uh, meaningful uh, was, a, was a gift. And uh, so the defeat was, was in many ways uh, painful, but it also was the beginning of something new. And I work at Allen & Company. I love young companies. I, you know, I'm working with a company now that might have a cure to diabetes. And so, you know, life goes on. I have my radio show on SiriusXM Radio where I interview people about their lives uh, mm -hmm. called American Voices. So uh, life goes on. Um, I think running for president is an experience unparalleled. Um, you know, people, you can feel what people are asking themselves as you're standing in front of them in a town meeting. You know, do I trust this guy with my job? Do I trust this guy with my life? Does he have a view of life that's similar to my own? That's a tremendous responsibility and also a great gift, and I had a chance to experience it. One more clip from the film in which you compare the thrill of being on a world championship basketball team three times <laughs> to being elected senator three times. People have always asked me, what was the bigger thrill, winning two NBA championships or being elected to Senate three times? <laughs> I said, well, being elected to Senate three times, all that did was, it was the greatest honor, but all that did was give me an opportunity to work 14 hours a day for six years to prove that the people weren't wrong in electing me. But standing at center court, with your fist raised in the air, chills going up and down your spine, a, a smile frozen on your face, knowing you're the best in the world. Now, that's a thrill. <laughs> it lasted about 48 hours. <laughs> then you had to go back to practice and try to do it all again the following year. I felt like that lasted 48 hours, and this will be my last question because we're out of time. It wasn't just then you had to go back to practice. It was like somehow it was more fleeting than the satisfaction you'd get uh, 
introducing a successful bill, something that changed the world? Well, yeah, I, I think introducing a bill that changes the world was a, a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, and it was an honor to have the people of New Jersey give me that opportunity. But if we're talking about just thrill as thrill, those 48 hours were unparalleled. Uh, because with politics, you know, politics is a continuum. It goes on. There are always going to be health issues, tax issues, crime issues, foreign policy issues. But a season is a season. And when you're at the top and you win the championship, it is over. And you have that experience of finally a release and a release at the top. And with uh, po politics, you know, I passed the tax reform bill in 1986 back in the Paleolithic era. The, that was really, uh, it, it reformed the whole income tax system. Uh, and uh, within two years, there were interests trying to eat away at it. So it was never permanent. But the record's the record. You were the champion in 70 and 73, and you had that experience. Oh, I have to throw in one more question then that a listener uh, piped up with, and that is, um, what do the improving Knicks need right now to win the championship this year? They need to make February and March as good as January. <laughs> 13 and 2 was pretty good in January. Um, I think they've begun to realize unselfishness is the ticket to uh, to success. Uh, I like Jalen Brunson as the point guard. I think they have a good mesh of talents, uh, but we'll see. You know, season's a long time. It has a lot of different uh, ups and downs. And uh, coming out of this all-star break, they have to be able to regain where they were before. And you know, they have a few injuries, but they're not significant. And so... I'm hopeful. Once a Nick fan, always a Nick fan. And once a Nick player, always a Nick fan. Ha. Bill Bradley, the film that he wrote and presented about his life is called Rolling Along, now playing on Max. Great to talk to you again. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate the chance to come by and once again have a conversation with you. <laughs> 